you for taking time to listen to this sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock a.m. at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. It was a big year. I had finished undergraduate. I had started my MBA program. I was uh, working at the university, making more money than I had ever made in my life. I was doing what? I can do it without a Bible. <laughs> Y'all, this is a big deal. In the front of that Bible is my one comfort blanket, which is a, a note card sized outline so that if things go south, I can flip it open. So we're just, we're just doing this out without a reserve shoot now. Whew. I planned for this to be a quick sermon, too. I could be like halfway through already. 2009, I'm in this job that I love, working at the university. I'm making uh, great money. I am volunteering 20, 30 hours a week in my church doing youth ministry. Um, it, it is a beautiful season of life for me. I had uh, left behind a job that was um, super stressful when 2008 came and uh, the market collapsed, and I finally felt good about life, and then uh, began to get this discontent in the middle of what should have been uh, this, this amazing season. I just sat with this for, for a while, and I'd get more and more frustrated, because I couldn't figure out what I was discontented about. This was in the midst of kind of my church healing from where it had a church split, and so I felt like I could be a healing presence. It was in the middle of us all trying to learn the scriptures. We were doing the Bible in 90 days, like a lot. Um, we're doing these good things, and yet my heart was just never at peace. And eventually I, I realized, I want to go to seminary. And I use the language of I'm called to seminary. I feel God is calling me to Asbury in particular. Uh, all the pastors and youth pastors that I've ever met uh, who had been most impactful in my life went to Asbury. I can't imagine being a pastor, but I, I, I know I'm called to seminary, and if you go to seminary, you're supposed to be a pastor. So somehow this is supposed to work out, Right. And as Methodists do, we we really have a structure where if you feel like you're going to seminary, here's what you need to do. You need to go to your SPR and talk about about why you want to go to seminary. It's okay to be tickled right now. This is beyond ridiculous. Um, All right. Just hold it. You have never met a more awkward person trying to preach with a handheld microphone. It ends up down here by the time I'm done because I just don't know what to do with my hands. That's why I hold a Bible. I felt called to seminary and decided I was going. And so the process is you tell your pastor, that might be a little hot back here now um, on this microphone, you tell your pastor and you go to the SPRC, the Staff Parish Relations Committee, and they're the first group that votes uh, yes or no for your candidacy, for you to be considered for ministry. And this was a room full of people who loved me. I was special and sweet to them, and they were so fully affirming. You're just, you, you do great things at youth ministry, and you're, you, have, you can play guitar. You should definitely go to seminary. And it was wonderful. And so the next step is you call a church conference uh, where the, the DS comes in, 
and uh, she talks about how good you are and how amazing you are and how special you are, and the congregation votes on paper ballots, and my congregation voted unanimously to send us to seminary with their blessing. I still have the pieces of paper at home uh, with all these check marks of yes. And the next step is you go before the District Committee on Ordained Ministry, this group that is primarily uh, pastors and a couple like super, super, super committed lay people. And I'm ready for the third validation of how special and lovely I am and how I should definitely go to seminary because it's just, uh, your gifts are so evident and God has just blessed you so. And it was the most disconcerting meeting I've ever been to in my life. Why do you want to be a pastor? You've never preached. Why do you want to be a pastor? You're scared to speak in public. Why do you want to be a pastor? Well, I actually don't want to be a pastor. I want to go to seminary, and this is the way you go to seminary. Um, And then the mantra across the room was, if you can imagine being happy doing anything else, go and do it. Ministry is hard. It's going to eat you up. You're going to end up in retirement miserable and sad. If you can imagine doing anything else and being happy, do it. This is the only way you know that God has called you to seminary. That's kind of a a letdown after you've been told how special you are and how obvious this path is. Because I could imagine doing other things than being happy. I could keep working at the university making good money and helping out with the youth group. But, but these people in my life have been saying, no, you, you should go to seminary. You have these questions. You should go. You have joy in ministry. You should go and be more prepared. And this group said, if you can do anything else, don't do it. So I tried. I thought, I'm going to make a deal with God. I'm going to tell my boss that I'm not going to seminary. And so can I keep my job? She knew I was going. She, was gonna, she had uh, kind of set this up as a, as a thing just for me. Uh, and she knew my, my end date. And I went and I said, you know, I think I'm not going to seminary. I'm, I'm just going to stay here and keep working for you. And she's like, no, because I'm going to fire you if you don't go. That is the right look, Marilyn. That is the absolute right look. If you're ever in a group, maybe be a little more gentle than I'm going to fire you if you don't leave. And so off to Wilmore we go, and uh, life has been uh, interesting since then. I came to seminary not planning on being in traditional pastoral ministry. Um, I didn't know what it would look like. I knew I was uh, frustrated with what I had seen in my home church. I, uh, I knew I loved God and was studying these scriptures, but I knew there were things that would make me happier. I go uh, meet with, uh, our offerings had a Christmas party one night, and and uh, I'm griping to Teddy Ray, I've got an MBA. I've got all this education, and I'm making $7.25 an hour at the seminary library. I am, I am, I am wasted with my giftedness here. Um, I'm, you, you are hearing that I can easily fall into arrogance, right, and pride. Um, it, it is a capital vice that I have to, to flee against. But uh, Teddy heard, here's this guy who's got skills, and he was going to Spain. They were going to split up his job. And he said, you should really apply for this job. And, and that was the turning point into what would become ministry here at Andover. I, I got to sit in my business office for the first six years of ministry at the church, really just handling finances and HR and, um, and facilities and doing a little bit of ministry on the side. I could do our discipleship intensive and stuff. But I, I, I could kind of stay divorced from the week after week job of pastoring 
Executive pastor really is a great role for somebody whose background is business because you, you get to do the fun parts of ministry without having to do all the other parts of ministry. And then something just kept stirring inside of me, some, some discontent. I loved my job and felt like I could be the executive pastor for the rest of my life and be comfortable. Um, and then um, this just discontentness kept growing and I kept telling Todd, I, I don't know what, but... but I need to do something. I need, something needs to change. And, and the stars aligned uh, for me to come here. And, and it has been a, um, a place of living into the beauty of ministry uh, while also trying to hear what those pastors were trying to tell me back at the district committee. What is it that they saw that was so miserable that if you couldn't imagine doing anything else, you, you should not do ministry? And I, I've come to understand that it's just a jadedness and a uh, a different mindset of ministry. There's a whole group of people who came up in ministry and said, uh, you can't be friends with your congregation. They can't know that you have a hard time. You have to come and be the model of complete virtue and uh, have a healthy uh, um, family dynamic and have these things. They, of course, told me because I was single that I, I really did need to get married in seminary because I couldn't go on to that thing. And this is, this is how bad this district committee was. Here we are, three and a half, well, four years later since I came to Andover. It's Pastor's Appreciation Week, and this is the text from Timothy. Hmm. Most weeks I get to read a text about Jesus and some people, and we can gather ourselves together in the story, right? I can sit in the same seat you're in and look for myself in the story. But this week, I am the only one that Paul is writing directly, Paul is writing to Timothy, this pastor of this church. And Paul sounds a little bit like the District Committee on Ordained Ministry. I just got to tell you, he, uh, the, the people who do the lectionary skipped the nasty part. Before uh, these lovely words that were read, we read this. Understand that in the last days uh, will be dangerous times. People will be selfish and love money. They will be kind of people who brag and who are proud. They will slander others and they will be disobedient to their parents. They will be ungrateful, unholy, unloving, contrary and critical. They will be without self-control and brutal and they won't love what is good. They will be people who are disloyal, reckless and conceited. They will love pleasure instead of loving God. They will look like they are religious but deny God's power. Avoid people like this. What a glowing endorsement of uh, what the church is becoming. Because for Paul, the last days really aren't there, aren't out there. They're right here. For, for Paul and his contemporaries, the, the last days were at hand. Jesus was expected any moment now, and Paul is saying, this is what is happening in the church. you got a bunch of people who have these uh, vices, but who will act like things are glowing and wonderful. So, but you... You, Timothy, you have paid attention to my teaching, conduct, purpose, faithfulness, patience, love, and endurance. You have seen me experience physical abuse and ordeals in such places as uh, Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. I will put up with all sorts of abuse, and the Lord rescued me from all of it. In fact, anyone who wants to live a holy life in Christ Jesus will be harassed, but evil people and swindlers will grow even worse as they deceive others while being deceived themselves." The other part the lectionary didn't give us. 
You've seen me beat up in ministry. You've seen me torn apart. And you've seen that I trust in Jesus and stick with it. So you've heard this. You know this. Stay. Stick in. You must continue with the things you have learned and found convincing. You know who taught you since childhood. You have known the Holy Scriptures that help you be wise in a way that leads to salvation through faith that is in Christ Jesus. Every scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for showing mistakes, for correcting, and for training character so that the person who belongs to God can be equipped to do everything that is good. I'm giving you this commission in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is coming to judge the living and the dead and by his appearance and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready to do it, whether it's convenient or inconvenient. Correct, confront, and encourage with patience and instruction. There'll be a time when people will not tolerate sound teaching. They will collect teachers who say what they want to hear because they are self-centered. They will turn their back on the truth and turn to myths. But you must keep control of yourself in all circumstances. Endure suffering. Do the work of a preacher of the good news. And carry out your service fully. And then Paul's going to go on and say, yeah, because I'm dying. Um, I'm, I'm about done. And this is what I got for you. I wish this part wasn't in the Bible. I wish Paul wasn't writing uh, to this pastor that he has helped train. I wish there was this, this part that wasn't saying uh, that things will be hard. I wish it would have been like the SPR for Timothy. Things are going to be wonderful. You're gifted and it's blessing. But it's there, right? I was naive when I came to Andover. I thought, I do have these skills and these gifts and these blessings. This is just going to be uh, so easy. We're going to create a plan and we're going to execute the plan and we will have abundant ministry, overflowing fruits of the Spirit. And in like three or four years, we're just going to have a clear direction of what our days are ahead. And then we had a pandemic. And then we had uh, our congregational care list go from like 10 people to 45 can look at so many of you who have lost people you've loved lately. We've, um, we've sat in the midst of uncomfortable and hard. Um, we've had good days and we've had bad days. We've had Sundays where I know you leave and go like, I can't believe he even stood up there and preached that sermon. That didn't make any sense. Or I can't believe he preached that sermon. How dare he preach that sermon? And then you've left on some Sundays and going, yes, it's See, Jesus is good. I know we live in, uh, in a strange time, in these end days. But I don't feel like Timothy felt. I don't feel like Paul felt. I don't feel like these contrarian pastors on the District Committee of Ordained Ministry felt. I feel like I have the greatest blessing in the world to be your pastor. Doesn't mean it's easy. Uh, some days we got to work through things, right? Some days we got to uh, talk about um, pivoting. Some days we have to call each other to account. Some days it's hard, but it is good. And it's because of you. 
You don't demand a simple, light gospel like Paul is telling Timothy, the church in Ephesus is going to demand. You don't demand that I just tell you things are good. You show up, and you show up, and you show up. You lean into God's grace, and you meet me in the midst of my own mess. I can't imagine being a pastor who can't tell the congregation, I've had a hard semester. I can't imagine being a pastor who says, I have to stand separate and say things have been perfect. I get how they burn out or rust out and uh, can't encourage people to come into ministry, but I um, find great joy in being your pastor. Mornings like today where we have the serve fair um, are days that I, I am grateful for because they do remind us that the gospel is more than just easy, Right? It's fairly easy for the gospel to go to uh, prosperity gospel or to, uh, as Paul tells Timothy, uh, to things that are light and shallow. Our surfer reminds us that faith can't be light and shallow. Um, it, it asks us to consider what the gospel is and who the gospel is for. And if it's a gospel that doesn't uh, reach to kids who are pulled out of their homes and teens who are fleeing their parents and people who are in addiction recovery and people who are caring for folks on hospice and people who are trying uh, to, to resource kids who don't have food on the weekend. And, and if it doesn't reach people and their struggles, it's not the gospel. And you sit in that tension you hear the good news of a Jesus who does love you and who desires blessing for you and at the same time invites you to cruciform living. You have never pushed back when I say, no, we actually have to die to ourselves and rise to Christ. We have to pick up a cross and carry it so that all those people that I'm talking about know the love of Christ. It's easy for the gospel uh, to turn into a feel-good Sunday morning thing and you have not let it. Every one of those stands out there has somebody whose heart is for that group. Is ministry easy? No. Would I trade it for anything? No. It's been a hard semester. It's been a hard like 10 months. Um, I thought my father was going to die the day we brought him to Kentucky. I, I drove home Marco Poloing, my two best friends, crying the night we dropped him at the Willows, going, I'm sure my dad is going to have a stroke tonight. Now, they say the body keeps the score. My body was ready for my father to die then, and he lived nine more months. Uh, some of it really good and some of it really bad. Uh, the Powell County Soccer League, which is the one activity our kids do, thinks it's preparing the world for FIFA, and so it has been a million nights a week for a thing where they don't have a rule book. My wife is starting a new graduate program uh, and, and has taken three classes so she can get into the things she loves and it's been hard. Her church voted to disaffiliate from the United Methodist Church and, um, and that means we moved to Lexington and my wife finds a new job. And it's been really hard. We've been grieving this last week what we imagined for her church three and a half years ago. What do we think this is going to look like? What are the longings of our heart? And she is much more uh, emotionally intelligent than I am because I'm just uh, downtrodden. And she says, well, grief is often the recognition of the possibilities gone. Well, I love living three minutes up the road on Polo Club. 
Absolutely. Do I want to move right now? No, I don't. <laughs> um, will I be thankful for Felsha to be in a, a different vocation where she feels more fulfilled? Absolutely. Do I lament the things that uh, we never got to do with that church? Absolutely. It's been a semester where a number of you have lost your family members, wives and dads and grandparents and mothers. A lot of you had COVID this semester. A lot of you have had deep burning questions about what is happening in United Methodism and we've had lots of hard conversations about it. They keep happening. It's been a hard semester. But I still find joy uh, in God's spirit and in relationship with you. This morning, like 10 people said, how are you doing? I'm like, um, I'm doing. It's, it's, it's a hard, my instinct is to say I'm fine. But I told somebody at their funeral Friday, uh, the funeral for her husband, when she said, how do I get through this? I say, you stop telling people you're fine because it's fine not to be fine. And your congregation that lets me not be fine sometimes. Your congregation that has embraced a gospel that is uh, more robust and more full. Your, your congregation that has said, we're going to lean into our discipleship even if we don't get it. We're going to lean into being part of this church even when it's inconvenient. And I know there are a lot more convenient churches to be part of, but you said, this is my home. I don't need Pastor's Appreciation Month. I love, I love uh, sweet notes. I love, and I love chili and taco bar and the stuff that, that uh, John's got planned. Don't hear me wrong here. I love a good party like the next person. Uh, but I, I feel your appreciation when you actually ask about me and you mean it. When you hear my heart and when you dive deeper. I don't think God would care if I did any other job. I think for most of us, God calls us uh, to be faithful disciples. I think a particular calling to a particular vocation is, is particularly rare. Um, in Scripture, when God calls somebody to do a very specific thing, you really don't want to be them. I don't want to be Jeremiah. I don't want to be Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, or Habakkuk. I don't even want to be Peter. feel like God would not be angry if I went and did anything else. And there are things I would find joy in. But I find joy in you and what God is doing in you and how God is doing in us. I love you deeply. You deeply. I think that's all I've got, okay? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the people of Andover. Hard stop. I thank you for them. For who they are and how they are. For their faithfulness to you and their faithfulness to this congregation. Their faithfulness uh, to their vows. I'm thankful for these people and the way in which uh, I see and the world sees your face in them. 
I'm thankful for this congregation that points us to folks who are hurting and who need good news. Lord, I thank you for a place that uh, loves their pastor well and allows me to be fully human. Thank you for these people who have uh, stuck with uh, when opting out would be far easier. Lord, I pray blessings over the people of Andover as we continue to try to be faithful to your gospel. That in the midst of a world that is asking for simple and easy, for carefree, I pray your blessing on this group who has said, I'll do the hard. I pray your grace would be abundant in them, that they would know your presence and your peace, that their hearts would overflow with love of you and love of their neighbor. Lord, I pray that you make them holy. You continue the work you're doing in all of us and set us free from sin and set us free for life. Lord, we know that when we go forth from here, uh, the church is not uh, gone, but it is sent. And so would your spirit go with us uh, and liven us for the ministry to which you have called us and for the time in which you have placed us. Lord, we know your gospel is not easy, and yet uh, we know that you will lift us up day after day. We love you. And we praise you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen.